This is Mars Investigated, a podcast that explores the neo-noir teen drama that's aired on three networks and has had a fan-funded film. On each episode, we will discuss one season or film where appropriate of Veronica Mars. There are no future seasons to spoil because tonight we are reviewing the fourth and perhaps final season of the show. My name is Jerome Cusan. I am one of the co-hosts. You can follow me on Twitter at Jerome C1985. You can go ahead and yell at me about my bad Star Wars opinions if you want. So just go ahead and do that. We are part of the Real World Podcasting Network, a network that also includes Superhero Pantheon, There Will Be Movies, and from the archives from Broadcast Death. And I know that episodes of Flooping the Pig, a podcast done by one of my co-hosts, also has been appearing on the feed as well. Please leave a five-star review on your favorite podcasting platforms Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, so as to help people discover the great work that we are doing here at The Real World. My co-host is Kevin Ford. He has now seen all four seasons and the movie, so feel free to discuss season four going out with a bang on Twitter with Kevin at K413. But don't think that just because I've seen it doesn't mean that you can tell me anything and I still won't feel the need to block or mute you. Just saying, fair warning. What are you a liberal blocker and muter, Kevin? Is that what you're telling me? Most definitely. My I've muted and blocked a lot of people and words, especially, and it has really been great for social media and, and general mental health. So I recommend everybody do the same. So just block people, right? That's that's of course. Twitter's not real life. Just block people. It's fine. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the fourth season of Veronica Mars. Now, I think there's a lot of stuff that I want to get to. The fact that it is on a new network, it's on a streaming platform as opposed to a linear channel at this point. There's a lot of plot mechanics. There's a lot of guest stars. But I think we have to talk about the ending of this first because, Kevin, you will be shocked to know that the ending of this uh, season proved to be very divisive. I can buy that, but I think before you even get there, and I think it's related, I believe you mentioned on the Season 3 podcast that you wanted to read my thoughts on the end of Season 4 that you asked me to text you as soon as I finished it. I mean, you texted them to me, but I don't think they were all that interesting. No offense, <laughs> but like, you're way too measured and not hot takey enough to, to read your text message live on the air. Okay, that's fair enough. I just wanted to, I didn't want people to think that it had been forgotten. And I guess it, I did finish the series... Oh less than 24 hours and we're recording. So it's still pretty fresh. It's not like I texted this three weeks ago and I have some introspection or changes of opinion. So there is, I that. was, I was really hoping for like some yelling and some hot tapeness, but you know, Kevin, you're just too good for that. And it's, it makes for bad podcasting, good real life, but bad podcasting. I, I understand that. All right. So we, I think we have to address what happens in the, the final episode first. And Usually, I don't like to do this, but I think, again, this is a situation that certainly demands and calls for it, because I think that this re- re- gets to the heart of some of the real issues of, of what fandom is. And 
I think that there are so many cases where fans feel like they, they have ownership of some of these properties. And I think what complicates it so much with Veronica Mars is some people literally did take ownership, including you and I, by supporting the Kickstarter for the movie. So I think that fundamentally changes the relationship that exists between the people who support the show and the people who write the show. And I think there, there are a couple of things that coming into this season, I think kind of already had annoyed people. And I think the first of which is that originally this, this season was supposed to premiere on July 26th, but instead they did a surprise premiere at Comic-Con. And while that's great, a lot of the people who would be most interested in seeing that season were in a room where they literally could not access it. And at a comic book convention where I'm sure they had other plans on their minds besides just seeing Veronica Mars. So it would have been very difficult for people to see it that first weekend. And spoiler culture, such as it is, what makes it very difficult. So I think there are some people that were very annoyed by that. And I think... There are a lot of people. I'm not one of them. So my my opinion on this is probably going to be very different than what you hear uh, from other people. And I, I I have a little bit of a temperature of how Kevin believes. But this is uh, this is not going to be the podcast where we complain about what happened to Logan at the end of the series a great deal. Because ultimately where I came down on it is if there is going to be a season five, I fundamentally think the show is almost more interesting if Veronica is on her own solving cases in other places and getting away from Neptune. And I think if you watch the season and I've now seen it twice, it is so obvious and so clear that Rob Thomas wants to kind of burn down the past to an extent. And in a, in a very similar way to that we've seen a couple of other properties, just kind of fundamentally shake things up and get away from the things that Veronica Mars is so well known for. And while I am sympathetic to some of the, the logistical aspects of how they handled it, I, I cannot say that I was super pissed and or wanted to boycott the show. No, in fact, I felt kind of the opposite. I started the season feeling like I was, I don't want to say wasting my time, but it felt like, okay, I read the two books. So it felt so I'm like, okay, we're back and it's spring break again. I've already read this in the books. Uh, bombings, I guess, are a bit new, but it just felt like I'm kind of watching the same Veronica Mars again. And it was like, if this is, if we're just going to get the same stuff for eight more episodes, I don't even know if I needed a season four. And, and my mood on that changed a lot in the second half of watching the show. And Maybe it's just because, like, I don't, I think I told you this, but like, the second Logan walked in that courthouse after that text message where they thought he may have been walking away from, from the wedding altogether, I was like, Logan's dead. Like, I just had that feeling. I was like, he's not making it out of the season alive. And of course, that came to be a couple scenes later. And I, I appreciate that they're trying to change things because anytime that something, I felt like didn't need to come up again, like the return of Leo or something else. I kind of rolled my eyes and just thought like, geez, does Rob Thomas just have no new ideas? And now here we are at the end of the season and you're killing off a crucial character and widowing Veronica. I think that is a much more intriguing path for her to take going forward than just keeping the status quo and living happily ever after with Logan Eccles. So I'm totally with you on that. Um, 
And lest we forget that we're in a day and age now where we know too much about some of the inside lives of some of these actors. And I think some of the stuff about Logan Eccles' personal beliefs doesn't jive exactly with what you and I believe. So it, and it becomes a little harder to like Jason Doring watching him as Logan, not to say he didn't do anything bad in here, but it can be hard sometimes to, uh, to, to put away those differences when watching the show. Yeah. I mean, I never want to put something on the actor that doesn't exist in the series, but I, I think it is increasingly difficult to decontextualize everything and specifically, there have been a lot of things that Logan has done throughout the run of this series, and even a couple of things in this specific season that, that I think are a bit on the problematic side. And <laughs> that does not mean that he deserved to die, of course, because that, that is ridiculous. But I think that this was a, a very imperfect season that we will kind of get into more of the details of as we go along here. But I think in terms of thinking about Veronica and Logan's relationship, there is nothing that this season did to convince me that that this relationship could work because at the end of the day, Logan asks her to marry him and there is, there's so much hesitation there. And it's very clear that they did not have a very mature conversation about it. And he's really pushing her to go to therapy, which is a good thing. It is very clear that Veronica Mars needs to go to therapy. But therapy is one of those things where you really have to you really have to leave well enough alone at a certain point. And you can't the more that you want somebody to go to therapy and get help, I think there is almost this inclination of I'm not gonna do it because I'm being pushed to do it. And the person who goes into therapy ultimately has to make that choice by themselves. And they are the ones that, that kind of have to independently kind of do it and I think that is well represented by the fact that Veronica does not go immediately after Logan's death but she goes months afterward and I think that that speaks to kind of that situation and I, I think the other thing is you know she she has the big sex dream with Leo and she takes it as a side of relief when she wakes up but I'm like does is that really a good sign like I am not totally convinced that that was a good sign and everything about the wedding just felt very weird. And you could definitely tell that there was uh, that something else was coming. And I think I, at this point, we don't know if there's going to be a season five and if there is to be a season five, then I'm not totally sure what my feelings are on it, but it, it's, it's weird because I was, I was convinced that this is kind of going to kind of be a multi-season run. Um, does the if, if this is it, if there is no more Veronica Mars after this, does this change your feelings on the ending at all? No, it doesn't. But it I and I say that. And I say that that's and that I don't think it's a good ending to Veronica Mars or a bad ending. I'm mostly indifferent on it, which could arguably be said as maybe worse than thinking one way strongly or the other. I I have a different viewpoint, I think, on. Logan and Veronica than you do and the Leo stuff as well. I completely agree that Veronica probably needs therapy. And I also agree that ultimately when somebody needs to make a huge change, whether it's going to therapy, losing weight, uh, even quitting drinking or something a little bit more severe in their life, it ultimately has to be because the person themselves wants to change. And obviously it took Veronica some time after Logan's death to come to grips with. This is something that I want. 
And so I do think it was it, I think it's a little bit more realistic that you don't go right away because maybe there's some level of denial. And I, I think the fact that we jump one year forward and we maybe don't see some of the mental torment and how much it's it's affected her. Uh, it, it, it leads a lot to speculation and you kind of filling in the blanks. But I do think it is a little bit more realistic to finally come to grips, especially because Veronica was so. I don't want to say super against the idea in general, but I think it it wouldn't be that sudden switch for Logan's dead. Now I'm going to go to therapy. I think that's more realistic. I, I get what you're saying about the dream and the, the relief thing. And maybe that's a little hard to buy, but I at least like, and this is going to be hard to say if there's no season five, but let's go with, let's go with that. There isn't that if they're going to put to rest that there's anything that's ever going to happen with Veronica and Leo, I'm okay with that. Because if we're going to be closing some chapters and burning things down, I think if we're putting an end to the Logan and Veronica relationship and putting the end to there being any romantic history with, with Veronica and Leo also, I'm happy with that. Because again, when he showed up again, I rolled my eyes and they even made a joke again about Piz maybe showing up. Um, I, if there is going to be a Veronica Mars season five, I'm ready for something new. It's totally brand new. And it felt like they were finally going in the direction by the end. And I and I think even closing the chapters on these two relationships for me, and I know not everybody feels this way, is a positive in overall. Yeah. Yeah. Again, you'll be shocked to know that there are, there are people that were really angry afterwards. And uh, this is a fandom that I think, whereas with something like Star Wars, that is such a monolith fandom that to say all these people did not like whatever movie you're talking about that's one thing because I think you're talking about a much bigger pool size in this case I don't know what the size of the Veronica Mars audience is at this point because streaming services do not release the ratings but I think when you anger a a fan base like this I think it is more significant and I am very curious to know if the if the streaming numbers were down or how this, how this was affected, because the fact that they did not have, have not really talked about a renewal for season five, I don't think bodes very well. And there, there is a lot of anger out there, Kevin. I'm not, you probably have not seen it because you've been avoiding spoilers and it's probably not a good thing to do too deep a dive, but I think it would be interesting for you to just do like a cursory Google search and just see, Uh, some of the things that have been said, because there is a lot of frustration. Uh, Some of it I don't think is legitimate, and I think it's a bit on the, you know, fanboy side. But there is definitely, there's a lot of passion out there for for this relationship and for this show. And I don't think that in in this case, I really don't think you can just totally ignore it. And I think part of, again, what complicates that is the fact that, you know, people have literally invested their money in the show. Sure. I, but I do think you talk about me avoiding spoilers. I didn't avoid them that, uh, I didn't, I didn't go above and beyond trying to avoid spoilers. So like, for example, when something huge comes out, like, you know, Avengers infinity War, or something like that, I'd go out of my way to mute the title of the movie, all the official hashtags, and even like Spider-Man, Iron Man, Captain America, anything I could think of that would possibly swell that movie. Cause that's something I wanted to be totally certain I would not be spoiled with Veronica Mars. I only know a very small handful of my people in my life who watch that show. And I know they're all very good about not putting spoilers online. So I didn't go out of my way to mute anything, not even the official account, nothing like that. And here we are 
six months after it's released or about that time. And I didn't really see much of anything about Veronica Mars talked about in, in general by other people. So it's not as if it was that hard to avoid. And I think that speaks to the potential lack of audience it had too, because if there was such a big audience, maybe I'd be seeing more conversations about it, more articles about it, more podcasts or whatever about it. But I just didn't feel like there was a lot of people discussing it because even I was able to watch it. You'd think something like JK Simmons being in the show was something I would have known before putting it on. And I didn't. And I think that just speaks to the general lack of talk about Veronica Mars in general. And maybe that's because it's been five years since the movie and there's been a lapsed fandom. And, you know, before that, a 12 year lapse between when the final season aired and now this new season, maybe even trying to rebrand it as a fresh show. We talked about the the DVD and Blu-ray coming out and calling it Veronica Mars season one. It, it almost it's strange because I, I think watching it, they didn't you know, they did this new intro. And I love that you sent me the true detective intro and how similar it was. But this is why it made me so frustrated watching it at the beginning, because it was like, are you trying to do a new show and start over for this new audience? But or are you trying to do the same thing? And it felt like they tried to capture a new audience and an old audience. And I can't speak for a new audience, but I'm not sure that the old audience was totally satisfied. So, uh. Yeah, all that to say, I too am weary of the success season four had in terms of viewership on Hulu as well. And I think another huge part of that is if you look at some of the end of the year lists, there was there's a collective shrug, obviously, of Veronica Mars because I did not see it on a lot of best of lists. And I didn't really see a whole lot of conversation about it even. And it's it's so amazing to me that this show that has kind of lived and died multiple times just kind of got a collective shrug after the first couple weeks of conversation. And certainly the Logan stuff was getting a lot of conversation in those first couple weeks. But I, I think that, that, that some bridges have obviously been burned. And I think Rob Thomas has certainly has certainly felt it. And I think it's, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy to me that any year, the year 2019 where so many shows and franchises have ended or like, in the case of the Infinity Saga, a part of the MCU has has ended. Rob Thomas possibly has had two shows end in 2019 and barely a ripple. Yeah, and, you know, who's to say why that is or, or what that means? But I think if you if you put out this new season and you, you don't get either a, a, a positive reaction for those who watch it or you don't find that the numbers were very strong or the conversation online was strong enough, Maybe you realize, okay, maybe the time has passed us by and it's time to move on to something else. And maybe they should have put Baby Yoda in it and that would have solved everything. Baby, uh, so I've not watched The Mandalorian yet. I'm going to wait till it's complete and go through it. Baby Yoda does not have a name yet, correct? Baby Yoda does not have a name or a species. We're just calling him Baby Yoda Yoda. because he looks like Yoda as a baby. Right. And I and yes, I understand. I was going back to Logan in the conversation online. Is there any rumor or anything about Jason Doring possibly not being able to come back to the show or what the the rationale behind him being killed off was like was it a is there any hint I guess of it either being a decision by Rob Thomas for the direction of the story or possibly something to do with the actor being unavailable or uninterested it or sounds something like, like it was a story direction very specifically that Rob Thomas wants to take the show in a new direction take Veronica completely out of Neptune. And I think one of the possibilities that he has discussed 
is to do an Agatha Christie style season. When I say Agatha Christie, I'm, I'm assuming you have at least cursory knowledge of what I'm talking about, right? Oh, definitely. My dad's actually a huge Ag- Agatha Christie fan. So I think the idea is that they, that he would do something like that. And that is that is really intriguing to me because I think especially with the success of the movie Knives Out, I don't know if you've seen that, Kevin, but I have. I, and I've I loved could, it. Uh, it's 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 really great. And I almost wonder if that helps or hinders the the possible cause of putting Veronica Mars in a, in a similar situation, because I think Veronica Mars has certainly had her Agatha Christie moments, especially the, the episode of the carnival, I think, is perhaps the, the best example of that. I would really love to see a season of that. I think it's really intriguing. I think it's something that is completely different. I think the tone of the show would be very different, though. And I think there's a certain pocket of the fandom that may not accept that. But my attitude, Kevin, I, I, I've come to the conclusion that my, that my attitude on everything is to just burn it all down and start fresh. And that is not just a TV philosophy. That is also a life philosophy as well. So I'm very much in favor of this. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I think that it, it did not have a lot to do with Jason Doring. I mean, Jason Doring is not exactly, he's not exactly an in-demand actor. Um, and I say that with all due respect, but I, I don't think that was the issue. I think it was more of, of changing the story. Rod Thomas seemed really interested in just shaking things up. And I think you, you saw that, especially in the second half of the season. Yeah, I, I didn't know if maybe he just if Jason Doring was like, you know, hey, I'm I'm not interested in acting anymore. I'm, I've moved on to something like that. that's more what I meant than just like him being too in demand or whatever. But I agree. I am all in favor of a new direction. That Agatha Christie season idea sounds very intriguing. But I think we go back to how did I feel at the end of season four? If there is a season five, definitely we'll watch it and we'll be happy about it. But if there isn't, I'm not going to be too upset about it. Yeah, there's six hundred and eighty eight. TV shows that have aired that are accessible to Americans in this country. 688, Kevin. I think we can find something to watch. I think so. Plenty. All right. So let's let's kind of take a step back now and let's talk about the the new network that Veronica Mars is on as they change things up. They are on Hulu, which Hulu is a, a network that has about 26 million subscribers at this point. And when it was first conceived, it was basically owned by Universal, Warner Brothers, and Disney. Essentially, what has happened over the course of the last year is Disney has just about taken complete ownership of that streaming service. What complicates things is Veronica Mars, as a TV show, is owned by Warner Brothers Studios, which does operate independently from its its parent company. So if there is to be a Veronica Mars season five, who the hell knows where it's going to air? Is it going to air on Hulu? It may end up airing on HBO Max. And that, that will certainly be something that eventually gets uh, dis- discussed, I'm sure, at some point. So now Veronica Mars is on a streaming service, and that changes a lot of things. Since even the fan-funded film, streaming television has captured the zeitgeist in a major way. And the way that we, the very way that we consume television has changed because... No longer do we have 22-episode seasons. We have eight, nine, 10-episode seasons in so many cases, from your Netflix to your Amazon. And even the model of the way these episodes are released has changed, as some networks are releasing all of the episodes at once for people to view. Some networks, like Apple TV+, Plus, are taking the approach of releasing three episodes 
on the first day and then doing kind of a weekly release schedule. Hulu has done a little bit of both. Some of their shows they release on a weekly basis, like Handmaid's Tale, Veronica Mars. They released all eight episodes on the same day. And I think that also kind of hinders the conversation when you are, when you're doing something like that. And we can, I'll talk more about this in, in a second. So what happened is they received an eight episode order for season four. And based on the level of actors and the, the quality of the cinematography, they also got a much higher budget. Kevin, I think that, and I think that shows. I definitely think it does well. I think there, there's a lot more exterior shots in this season than I think in all of the other previous seasons combined. For sure. And I think, I don't know how you feel, but I think we, what Netflix's Marvel shows taught me was that eight episodes is really the sweet spot. I think all the shows that went 13 episodes was definitely way too long. I think a couple maybe went down to 10 and that was better, but I think there was still like a, just a little bit extra hanging on that you really didn't need. And then eight episodes I, f- I felt was the total sweet spot. So I was very happy to see the Veronica Mars show follow the model. And I was okay with the, with the one-time content dump, knowing that I was going to probably binge it at some point. And, you know, depending on your definition of binge, you know, I watched, I averaged about one episode a day, maybe two sometimes, but I watched it in a very condensed period and I did like that. But I do think looking at something like The Mandalorian now, and I'm not counting like Watchmen or HBO shows, which have always been weekly, but something like The Mandalorian, which Disney Plus are releasing week to week. I think it's extended the conversation of The Mandalorian and and, and not to mention it seems to be a very good show. But people always talk about the guest stars week to week, uh, the story week to week, and of course, whatever Baby Yoda has been doing week to week. There but are I think- literally multiple Baby Yoda gifts or videos every single week, and it is – it is simply amazing how Baby Yoda has taken over our lives. It really is, and it keeps it fresh. But I think it this has proven that doing it week to week helps keep it in the conversation and in some ways brings appointment television back to the streaming services. And and I think it it's taken a major property like Star Wars to prove this is something that can be done and can be done with success. So if Veronica Mars were to come back, and I think that's another thing that you, you touched upon that I think – whether or not Rob Thomas or Kristen Bell wants to do it may be a moot point if, depending on however the contract shakes out, if Hulu wants to hold on to it and do either try to do it again or not do it again because they would they don't want to they want to be stubborn and not give Warner Brothers money, they may be able to sit on it for a little bit and there can't be anything Veronica Mars for a while, or they might they may want to release it to and say, you know, fine, do whatever you want with it. And an HBO max isn't interested. So it may not even be their choice to do another season or not, depending on how that all shakes out. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's very, it's very interesting how it's come to the streaming service, but I think that's the right place for it. I, it feels like uh, a show that would be on one of these streaming services. And I think that that speaks to the quality of it visually and how it was produced more than anything, is that it felt right at home being on a streaming service like Hulu. I think to an extent, I think it works on, on a streaming service because I think the, the audience, there is not as much pressure. But I think, unfortunately, one of the things that gets lost is kind of the episodic nature of it. And I think this is a problem with a lot of streaming shows in general is that they feel like they are an eight-hour movie or a 10-hour movie or a 13-hour movie as opposed to having individualized episodes. And I think this is a, a perfect example of that because whereas 
I think each episode of Veronica Mars seasons one, two, and three felt very distinctive. There was kind of the case of the week. I think one of the things is if you are not into the main plot of this season, it was, I think it would be really hard for you to sink your teeth into anything else because there really wasn't a lot going on as far as plot goes beyond the main plot. And of course there was Veronica's romantic entanglements and relationships with other people to get explored. But from a plot standpoint, the, the bombing at spring break is really about it. Yeah. And you know, they have the, the subsequent bombings and all that, but I don't know. Like I never, there was never to me any, even with the last like 70 two hour bomb threat, I never felt any huge sense of urgency or danger. And did you feel that same way? I, I definitely did not, did not get the sense of that. And I think that one of the issues with, kind of the bombings in general is that you're really trying to balance like what is actually happening on the ground with people and what's actually happening with Veronica's life. And it never feels like they really balance that particularly well, because to me, if there are all these, there are literal bombs going, going off in Neptune. Like I, I cannot imagine anyone staying (laughs) and it's, it's just crazy to me. I mean, I don't know if bombs were dropping in, the places where we lived, I mean, how would, how would we react? I mean, things would be pretty chaotic and it never, it never came across that way. Right. And I, and I think that's what frustrated me at the beginning. It was like, here we go again. Another, like the book it's, it's different because that was girls getting kidnapped and, and whatnot. But this is like, here we go. Another fiasco happening during spring break that drives business down and drives people out of town. Like I've, I've already seen this story. Do I really need to see it again with, a, a very slight different coat of paint this time with bombings instead of girls being lost. Just found. imagine how it was for me reading the book and understanding that I had already <laughs> seen season four. <laughs> so for me, it was reversed. And then I had to rewatch season four again. So I don't, I don't know. I will say I, I enjoyed it this much more on my first watch than I did my second watch overall. Okay. But yeah, and that's interesting to hear that. Yeah. I, and, and, and that is to say for me, I'm not in, all that eager to give it another rewatch, not right away anyways. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know what that says. I I don't know if that is an indictment of the books or what, but it was definitely, it was definitely less pleasurable. And I think part of that is it's funny because there are aspects of the season that I'd either forgotten or of season three in particular that I'd forgotten. So actually going back and rewatching season four, some of the things were kind of contextualized, especially the prison visit, uh, which we will get to in a second. But what I want to do is I want to kind of, kind of get into uh, the characters. And I think the fundamental question of this season is, is Veronica Mars a good person? And I think that is something that gets debated and discussed throughout. And we see kind of her actions and her behaviors. We see her ca- caring about her ailing father. Keith is not doing well, either physically or mentally as we get into the season and as things develop, we also see her get turned on by a very angry Logan and having sex dreams about Leo. So things, things are a mixed bag. We'll say that Uh, Logan of all people is the one who says that she should go to therapy. And whereas I think Veronica was kind of the sane one of the two. I think at this point, I, you could argue that Logan is kind of the more, more centered person. Anytime Veronica Mars has to experience normal life, 
she seemingly cannot handle ha- handle it. I think if you look at her behavior at the housewarming party, which there's never been a moment on the show that I, I've identified with Veronica Mars more than when she was at Wallace's housewarming party, because I don't know. I'm, some people are probably going to be pissed off when I say this, but housewarming parties are the absolute worst. And I, I think I would rather brush my teeth with razor blades than go to a housewarming party. I can't go that far. They're not pleasant. I, I, it really depends on who it is and what the vibe of the party is. Cause I feel like the only housewarming parties I've been to have basically been souped up like college parties. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a little bit more responsible college parties where they aren't these stuffy people like Veronica had to deal with. So I guess it all depends on who it is in the house and the neighborhood and all that stuff. But one thing you touched upon that I that really struck me, especially in the first half, because they did it like I think in three back to back episodes is it felt like they were very excited to now be on streaming and to be able to shoot these, I would say, pretty graphic sex scenes with Logan and, and Veronica and then later with Leo in the dream, just showing her getting just railed by by them in, in bed. I was like, oh, man, this isn't like a cable show where, you know, they see kissing and then. They lay down in bed and you're left to wonder what's happening. Like they really show them going at it. And I was like, okay, this is some, some, some fans are really getting their, their fill right now with this or somebody on the production team is, but uh, yeah, that really just, that really, (laughs) that really struck me as like, whoa, okay. I guess we're, uh, we're not on the CW anymore with some of these scenes. So um, I know that doesn't go into is Veronica a good person or not, but that was something that to me was a major difference between the show being on cable and now being on Hulu. Look, my attitude is let let your freak flag fly. I mean, that's that's perfectly acceptable. I mean, however you enjoy your your sexual inclinations, go for it. As long as there's consent involved, there's there's certainly nothing wrong with that. I do love that once again Veronica cannot use the F word. Is there something <laughs> about Kristen Bell that that makes writers want to do this because? It's it's gotten to a point where it's a running gag because it's happened on The Good Place. It is happening on Veronica Mars. Now I need to watch your Showtime show just to see if it's also happening there. I maybe I well, and first of all, yes, I agree with you on all the the sex stuff. Do whatever you want to do as long as it's consensual. And I'm not I wasn't like turned off by it or mad about it. I was right. just no, very I, I know it's just it, I, it, I definitely noticed that too on first time watching. You hear some of the language that gets used and it feels like. Oh, they're just using the word shit because they can use the word shit now. Right. And that's the thing is I was – I thought this whole uh, no cussing a bet between Veronica and Keith was going to have a payoff in the last episode where something happens and one of them says like what the F or, or shit or something like that. And even maybe to in this like dramatic moment to break the ice or something, they're like, oh, you did it. You broke the cuss. I win the bet. Like even when she gets that text from Logan that says sorry and they think it's off and she's she's like that mother effer and she says it and Keith's like, ah, I did it. I won the bet. Or like later after he finally shows up and after they say their I do's and Keith's like, by the way, I won the bet. I thought there was going to be something like that and it just didn't happen. Yeah, that was bizarre. I wonder if they just forgot about it. I mean, what was the device that they didn't? I mean, were they looking for pretext to not use the F word, even though it was on Hulu and they still wanted to keep a TV 14 rating? I don't know. That was that was very bizarre. Uh, Let's let's we don't really will not get a chance to talk about evil individually, but there is a lot of discussion in this season about what happened in the second book with Weevil taking the deal. And there is a, there's a lot of angry conversation and the, the relationship between Veronica and Weevil has been 
one of the more interesting aspects of this show. But I think that one of the issues that comes up is Veronica seems to see the world in a very clear black and white way. And I don't think she's uh, seeing the shades of gray that exist with Weevil and is really not giving him the opportunity to really explain himself or kind of do what he needed to do, which he felt was right. And the show seems to try to take her, 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 her position on it. And I'm not sure if that's correct because again, I've always believed that Weevil has not been done the greatest of services on this show. And I kind of think this was another example, particularly their discussion in her office. And of course things are a little bit better by the end between them, but it, uh, it just, I, I just don't think the show has ever quite known what to do with Weevil. Yeah. And I, that's one thing that if there isn't another season, Weevil story is something I will definitely be disappointed by, because I think if you want to talk fan service as a fan, I ultimately would like to see Weevil find that finds that balance between living an honest lifestyle and maybe using his roots for 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 good, for having either a toe dipped into it where he can help aid Mars investigations with some uh, with quelling some crime activity, but also. You know, who wouldn't want to see him get his wife and, and daughter back? I think that's something that people ultimately want to see is, is Weevil have a good life. And to see him end this way with and, – and, of course, get back on good terms with Veronica. And so for it to end this way, if this is the end of Weevil's story, that's definitely something as somebody who's – you know, we've watched all the seasons in the movie is definitely a little dissatisfying. Of course. And there's also her – this was a very oddly placed gay joke at the prison, and it just felt really inappropriate. I don't know if you even caught that. I uh, honestly, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of what. It, oh, what it was? She or was no? Her, it was something about him having a husband or whoever. Yeah, it was really out of place. I definitely it noticed it on the second time watch. Yeah, and it was also kind of strange to even bring back those two characters in the prison. It was like they were just kind of there to fit the. Uh, hey, remember season three? Hey, here's some guest stars for you, for you marshmallows out there. And not to say they did a bad you know, job you, or anything, but it's very curious to to bring them back. There is an episode of television that South Park did with the member berries, and I feel like that that is an episode of TV that has literally taken over as we have gotten all these reboots and all this these bits of nostalgia. Because every single time I see this, I'm like, member, member, and it's from that stupid episode of South Park. So. Good job, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, for creating something that continues to be relevant to this day. It's true, and I, I mean, there's a big discussion we can get into about people wanting to, you know, forget about their, their current woes and go back to a simpler time and all that other stuff. But that, this is not the podcast to, to topple it. But yes, the moment of having Tim, I think was the name of the TA, and, yep. then, and then the rapist from, from season three. I don't remember his name exactly right now. Do you? I, I do not. I'm a bad podcast host. It was that. a very strange name. I remember that. But uh, having them back and kind of doing their same characters, I do appreciate that at least Tim still – he couldn't help but respect Veronica for her – for even jailing him and having those instincts still. But uh, yeah, it just seemed really unnecessary. And even after watching it, I'm like, wait, what was their connection to those people in the bombings again? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, there's a new character, Nicole, 
And Nicole is really great. I, I really like the the person that plays her. I think she has been on Barry, which is another show that I know you really like. She has a very, very small role on that show. But she is perhaps more well-known for her time on The Good Place. And uh, she plays Chidi's girlfriend. And some things are, you know, afoot with, with, with those two. And I, I just really like... Uh, her and what she brings to the show she brings a lot of different energy and it is something that i think is sorely needed and i think kirby howell baptiste is certainly somebody who we are going to see on other shows and she was also on killing eve as well and i just really like the energy that she brings to this season and in a season where things felt a little bit on the repetitive side at times and where maybe the main storyline wasn't clicking as well I think that she and J.K. Simmons both brought energy to this show that I think was sorely needed. I agree with that. First of all, Mercer was the name of the season three rapist. Okay. Um, but yeah, she did an awesome job. I think she was a great female companion for Veronica. And I think from the perspective of just representation, being a young female black business owner who had who was able to to take care of herself, but also have a lot of fun with Veronica and have a really like a, a genuine friendship with her and add some perspective to some of Veronica's dealings, both personally and professionally was really great for her to have that outlet to speak to. And I think she did a tremendous job uh, and she's been great in everything I've watched her in and calling out Veronica on her bullshit because Veronica, her behavior towards Nicole is pretty terrible in the end by, by spying on her for, for no legitimate reason and, and not trying to have a conversation with her. I mean, I think it's totally legit to to behave this way and i think nicole nicole was in the right and that's something that you don't often see on these uh on tv shows where the main character is not only proven to be wrong but is kind of proven to be an asshole towards someone in the end yeah i i like that the perspective she took when her office was bugged and was like hey this is something that like you you stepped over a line veronica it wasn't like a one simple uh conversation and they made amends she was like no, this is really messed up and you need to leave. Uh, similarly, we're talking about J.K. Simmons. I really enjoyed the the friendship that him and Keith had. And I also like the way that it ended. The conversation with between them, I thought, was very realistic. And it wasn't overdramatic. It wasn't crazy. But they but Keith stuck to his guns about them needing to sever their ties because of what J.K. Simmons' past was and the the deceit that they both put upon each other and that it just wasn't going to work and it just wasn't good for either of them. And, and J.K. Simmons respected that and left him alone, which I think spoke to his character too. So I liked watching them interact, but I also liked the way they had their semi-amicable split. And I think it, it all felt very rational and didn't go over this line to this over-dramatization that sometimes I think some past seasons of Veronica Mars or, or a lot of television shows may have been guilty of. So I think there's, there's so much good in both those characters that they brought to their respective relationships with the Mars family members. And uh, for my money, we're, we're probably the two best new characters of this season. And I think it's, it's very clear that those, those situations were, were meant to mirror each other. And just to kind of put a bow on Veronica's part, we'll continue to talk about her, but just for her as a character, she ultimately does decide to see her therapist or Logan's therapist in the end, played by Mary McConnell of all people who you want to talk about a weird throwaway part. Like how did Mary McConnell end up on this 
show in basically a role where she's in it for two scenes. That was pretty bizarre to me. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, who knows how these roles land in certain actors' laps? You know, like I said, I was completely thrown off guard when J.K. Simmons showed up. Or even seeing, like, uh, and I know they're, they aren't necessarily in their prime like they used to be, but even seeing, like, Eliza Coop in the very first episode of the season. Um, Fran- uh, Francois Chow, who's a, a fairly notable actor from Lost, playing the guy in the grocery store. And even like Josh Dumal appearing in an episode. I'm like, how do these roles land on these actors laps? And who knows what results in them taking it. Maybe for her, like a McDonald's case or even Dumal's case, it was a day of work, maybe even less. And it was just something to do and, and get another credit and a payday. Who Who's to say, you know, but yeah, and Sarah uh, Highland from modern Sarah Highland from modern. Family that's right. Well. Yep. But, but you know, JK was definitely a series regular. So for him, it was definitely different, but these other ones just kind of a drop in and you're like, Whoa, you know, it kind of throws you off guard to see, Somebody who's and and I you kind of put it perfectly in, in one of our messages. You said like J.K. Simmons felt almost too big for Veronica Mars. I definitely felt that way with at least like Sarah Hyland and a couple others at times. Um, but again, you know, it speaks to them having a higher budget and being on this on the streaming network and, and the working and get people. But yeah, I, it it's definitely very strange, but it, it's cool, too. But I but I, there is part of me that has a curiosity of like, how did this person even end up in this role? Yeah, I think, and to to talk to, to get into Keith and Clyde's relationship, I think those are some of my favorite scenes of of the entire series. Really, I think that they they have a great friendship, and it's unfortunate that they cannot keep it going. But it's totally understandable. Keith is is a very moral person, and he does not feel right in in continuing to be friends with Clyde. But one of the things that I really appreciated about Clyde, as compared to every other villain in the history of the show is the fact that Clyde does get some nuance and we can get into that in, in a couple minutes, but I do want to talk about Keith because he continues to be the the, kind of the second most important character. He does have some memory problems. Um, I, I, the name of this problem is uh, the Joyce X Machina disease. And Kevin, I'm sure you've heard of this. I believe it's Deus X Machina. Deus Ex Machina. Yes, that is that is the proper name of it. And whenever whenever the plot needs Keith to forget something, that's when he forgets stuff. Yep, exactly right. It's it's that built in thing of when you need when you need him to to lose his memory, we can do that. And then uh, when it's not convenient, we don't have to do it. He is dealing with the ramifications of the car accident that took place toward the end of the series kind of physically and mentally physically he is using a cane and there is actually a payoff to the cane joke which is actually hysterical and of course the unfortunate memory problems and things become quite concerning as keith discusses retiring and taking a job as chief of security of a retirement place and now i desperately want to see the spinoff series where keith is the chief of security and picking on innocent people for murdering people in the retirement community i would love that running gag joke yeah, why not? I th- I think that's also interesting the the him retiring. And I guess does that mean Veronica Mars inherits Mars investigations? You know, does does uh, the other new character Maddie does she have some is she going to become the Veronica to Veronica's Keith role that she's going to take on? That's something I'd definitely be interested in watching in a new season too. And does Keith true does anybody ever truly retire especially in the racket like like PI work or how is Keith going to get roped back into at least being involved somewhat in something? 
Yeah, I think that that that's certainly a direction. That almost feels more like it would be a spinoff than Veronica Mars. I don't know. We can get into that when we get to some of the burning questions. So one of the things that Keith's uh, Keith's situation teaches us is that it turns out the healthcare system for all but the uber rich is really terrible. And the the uber rich doctors that Clyde and Big Dick send Keith to save him, and he has hip replacement surgery, and everything is all good. He does not have dementia or CTE. And at the end, Keith is all right. You have to end it at that positive note. I don't think there's any way they they could have ended this with Keith not. It reminds me back of the season where there was the question of whether Keith was her biological father. I don't think looking back, there would have been any positive to Keith not being her biological father. Similarly, there's no positive I can find in him having brain damage or something like that here. Giving him brain damage and killing Logan, I think, would have probably sent almost everyone to the edge. Just way too much. You and I have talked about, like, if there's any relationship they need to keep as pristine as they can, Keith and Veronica is the one you need to do it with. Anything else is fair game. Just don't let those two, and I'm not saying don't have them never argue or always be on the best of terms, but don't, that's one you just can't sour for good. You just can't. Yeah, and as so within the sheer context of a TV show, the TV show, part of what makes a TV show a good or bad is the idea is that you're hanging out with your friends on a weekly basis. That's the difference between the relationship that you have with characters on TV versus a movie. And if you don't like the characters that you're watching on a weekly basis, and certainly there are anti-heroes and there are characters that maybe are on the shady side, but if you do not fundamentally enjoy a lot of these characters, that it's going to be really difficult for people to, to get involved with them. And even though there is some interrogation of Veronica in this series, we are still ultimately meant to sympathize and like her presence. And I think I want to talk about the, the, the setting, Neptune itself. I think it feels a little bit less cinematic, but it's not as cheap as the, the first three seasons. Neptune is also in the midst of a great transition as the rich are putting a stranglehold on the beachport beachfront properties as Big Tick Kiss Blankus plays kind of the major role. And we saw him get out of prison at the end of season three, but now he has elevated himself to a point where he is a major power player. And there are very clear allusions to Donald Trump. And this is very much, I think, the most political of any Veronica Mars season. They make a joke about somebody in real estate having all this power. Uh, there are critiques of Barack Obama. There are discussions of issues with the Mexican border and the cartels. Uh, there's health care that's discussed and kind of fanboy culture and true crime culture. All of these things are kind of put in the Veronica Mars blender. Yeah, and you know, to the show's credit, it's not as if they're only discussing this because of the Trump regime, which I think there are some shows and stuff that can possibly be guilty of that. But even going back to the movie with you, you see the shooting from um, uh, Mrs. Kane to Weevil that causes a big rift in class divide. In the book, they talk about them getting into gentrification and the the class divide split, even some of like the um, court decisions and whatnot. Um, you know, leaning into the favor of the rich. This is when uh, the previous sheriffs were under the regime of, uh, of Neptune. So I, to me, it felt like a continuation of what they, what the groundwork had been made in the movie and the books too. Um, and I, and and I didn't think it was 
overly political. Like I never felt bogged down or like they were going to have a monologue with him going off about how certain things are wrong or, or people in power shouldn't, or, you know, rich people are bad, things like that. Um, I, I just thought it was, it was more interesting and engaging than it was of feeling like this major burden or them trying to send a, a message of that. If, yeah. If, I, don't I don't think don't they were, they not. were not beating people over the head, over the head with this idea of anti-Trump and all that stuff. I mean, I think it was certainly there, but I don't think it was, it was punching you in the face. And I think it would have been annoying and out of place if it had, but Veronica Mars has always had political angles to it and in a lot of the discussions. So I think it did keep a lot up with the first two seasons in particular, as well as the, the books. Let's talk about Logan before he blowed, before he blew up. And what we see here is that he is very clearly in the military. He is the, I guess, quote unquote, healthy part of his relationship with Veronica, putting that in quotes for a very good reason. We do see a couple flashes of anger, but nothing too major. He proposes to Veronica without discussing it, even though they had said that they were not going to get married. And that's the whole thing. He somehow gets a job with Representative Maloof in a way that happen- just happens, Kevin, to connect him to the story. Amazing how that works. I will say the fight scene with Logan and the two, as he calls them, hillbillies was pretty hilarious. Okay, this is going to sound bad. And maybe this speaks more to me than the show, but I 100% forgot about that entire storyline with the representative until just now. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's representative of the issues of having an eight episode season and just having everything kind of squished together. Yeah, like it it, it, because then he gets shot and kind of taken out. And really, aside from one hospital scene with him, you don't see too much more of him. But yeah, he seems to dominate the first few episodes and then kind of go away. And the second half shifts into something a little bit different. So it is, yeah. You know, and and you talk about there are these big moments of anger. I don't know. I feel like punching a wall and that being a turn on Veronica is a pretty alarming sign and a pretty big moment of anger from from Logan Eccles. But I mean, yes, it's concerning, but it's not like it's ever addressed again. So no, yeah, that's the other kind of weird thing is just like he has that moment and that kind of leads to the therapy talk. I don't think there was anything new with Logan that wasn't already discussed in the books, per se. Like, they're having trouble with balancing their work lives and finding time together. She has pro- She's having difficulties when he goes away, and then he Skypes in, and she's busy doing something else. So they're having difficulty getting on the same page. For me, that feels like already territory that's been tracked and charted. And you don't even get something I would have I would have liked to actually see them redo, not entirely, but have Logan have that explanation he did in the book about why this job is so important to him and maybe why therapy has changed him uh, a little bit more explicit than broad than it was in the show. That's something I would have liked to see from Logan here. Um, and maybe that would have been a better taste in your mouth for Veronica changing her mind and accepting the proposal and just I had a sex dream about another guy. I didn't like it. So I'm going to say yes to Logan's proposal. And I mean, what makes that so bizarre is that there are certain parts of the book that they very clearly reference, especially with pony being around and we've gone an hour, Kevin, and we haven't mentioned pony. So I feel like we, we, we are contractually obligated to do that. A beautiful looking dog. And it is, and you're right, that is the, it is interesting that some things carry over from the book because there is the argument with Veronica and Weevil, uh, that they mentioned that she, that Weevil took the agreement instead of, uh, 
going with um, Keith with the, the the lawsuit they had against the the sheriff's county. And the, the biggest difference to me, and I don't know how you feel, is with the new sheriff. In the book, she seems like this more prestigious person who is looking to restore order uh, to to Neptune. And in the and in the show, I just feel like she's always annoyed and aggravated all the time. And and they don't really go into her accolades or her being so good good at her job or being that confident. She just always seems annoyed and frustrated, and at times a little incompetent when she just shoes away the pizza guy or sometimes even Mars Investigations. And I feel like it does a major disservice to her character, and and I think the book portrays her in a much better light than the show did. Yeah, I, I had a lot of problems with how they portrayed this this her as a character, because it almost felt like they were playing her up as kind of this stereotypical angry black woman, and that is not a trap that this show needs to fall in, because they certainly have had their issues in the past with this. So this this was definitely a major point of contention for me, and... I understand that the Neptune police have to be involved. That's the nature of this story. And I think if you bring the lambs in, again, you're you're kind of going back into the past and you're kind of doing this thing. But I think just, just portraying the character the way they did, I don't think it quite worked. And I'm not sure what the solution... Like, I don't have a better solution than what they did, but just having her be incompetent for the sake of incompetence, I don't know if that necessarily works either. Yeah, Marshall Langdon was the name. I was having trouble remembering it. But yeah, that was another character that almost seemed like she was there out of convenience more than being like a huge plot point for the show. And I was like, well, we have to have the sheriff's department in here somehow. And I definitely think it was better and less frustrating than having the lambs again. But it just felt like there was so much in the book that made me kind of excited to see her. And she was just such a nothing in the show. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned, I think you mentioned being excited and interested to see what she did. And I didn't even remember her from the show. So that <laughs> should tell you a lot. There you go. Speaking of characters not involved in the machinations of the show that much, Wallace is there. I definitely saw him once or twice, but he has almost nothing to do. And and I would say the same about uh, little Dick Casablancas. Yeah, it's weird that they have these two characters clearly they're part of the show. They've been on the show, but Dick Casablancas is in the two first. He's like in the first two episodes and then he is never seen again. Yeah. And I, and they kind of make it seem like he's doing great. He's has some success as an actor. His acting ability is definitely suspect as is the, the people he chooses to keep company with in terms of his uh, romantic partners or, or trysts maybe is more specific, but again, touched upon and then they just don't bring it back for most of the rest of the show and it, i'm sorry but there is no way the me too movement would not completely extricate him from every part of the acting business absolutely not definitely not <laughs> there's just there's no way uh tita tina majorino did not even want to come back uh since mac would barely be involved so that is why mac was completely uninvolved and Kevin did not get the all caps Mac in, in this season. What a shame. What a shame. But again, they, I think her, I don't want to say replacement because I don't want to belittle the, the, the acting ability of, uh, again, I so bad with names, the bartender owner who befriends Veronica, uh, Kirby Howell Baptiste. Yes. She kind of, I don't want to say she totally usurps or takes over the role that Mac is, but I think she fits that companionship role 
very well. They're not the same character, but I think I didn't feel like Mac's presence was missed because she fit that role so well, if that makes sense. Right. And of course, because it is a woman on this show, of course, she went through some trauma in her past, but she wasn't blonde. I mean, so another thing that defies the conventions is that there are no, there's no blonde trauma in this case. Maddie is a brunette and Parker has dyed her hair brown. So there's uh there's less trauma for the blondes in this season, at least. At least. And, and, and I do want to say, I'm not saying I don't think anything of, of Tina Majorino or, or Mac as a character and, and, me saying that, like, oh, I'm glad she wasn't in the season. I, of course, would have welcomed her back. But just speaking to how they they wrote everything there, uh, what did you what did you think of of Maddie as a character? I I don't know how I feel about her exactly. I don't think it was a negative, but um, an interesting choice for sure. I ultimately came out neutral. I think that it is very clear that they were trying to position her as a new Veronica, potentially kind of going in that direction. I think she is. She's seemingly more of a criminal than Veronica is based on some of her behavior. But I think that they were clearly going for some of that same spunkiness. And to me, the way that this comes off. So if Veronica Mars is a hit TV show that goes seven or eight seasons, then to me, this feels like what they're doing is they're basically positioning for a spinoff of the main show and then doing something with Keith at Maddie while Veronica goes and does something else. So that's how it came across to me. Although based on what we know now, I, I don't see how that's possible, but that's how it came across to me. Yeah, I could agree with that. Um, and I thought it was, it was kind of maybe their way of keeping one toe dipped into the high school pool, so to speak. Um, but I do also appreciate having a, a younger actor in the mix. It just changes up the general vibe of the show. Instead of everybody being in their mid to late thirties, you have this, this young person that kind of just changes the dynamic in the scene she's in. Certainly. And in addition, coming back to JK Simmons, again, ridiculously overqualified for his role as Clyde, but he's great. And I think people always forget that. Yes. JK Simmons is an Academy award winning actor. He is J Jonah Jameson. There is no J Jonah Jameson without JK Simmons in the movies. Let's be perfectly clear about that. But JK Simmons is from TV. He was, the psychologist on Law and Order for a number of years. He was on Oz for a number of years. So this is kind of where he cut his teeth. And I mean, he's just, he's so good. And I think that Rob Thomas was very, cle- very clearly going for someone a bit more on the nuanced side. Dick Cassavike is, is your mustache twirling villain who has no problem killing people using bombs, all that stuff. But Clyde has a very clear moral code. He also has a great hat and he wins in the end. That he does, yeah. Everything kind of works out in his favor, and I think Big Dick Casablancas is a perfect example of they have this character, and it's like we don't need to introduce a new character to get across this new storyline. We already have this pre-existing person in the universe we can bring back, and I actually think that's a positive. Unlike where you have Keith's story of his dementia or whatever it is, go, being a, a Deus Ex Machina, I think this is a case where you have this pre-existing character who makes sense to bring him into this role and, and fulfill the need. And of course you get the uh, the uh, the cathartic moment where he is killed by two people, I think, were, for my money, two of the stars of the season, the, the guys who played Alonzo and Doty, the two assassins that were hired to find and kill the bomber by Congressman Maloof. 
I, I really enjoyed watching their interplay and the way that they interacted with everybody in the show. They were two of my, my favorites to watch all season long. Honestly, on the rewatch, I think they, their, their part of the story actually got more positive in my head. I was not a huge fan of them on the first watch, but I don't know. There's something about their performances specifically that I think came across much better on a rewatch. And those actors have been in a ton of other things in some cases playing specific roles because that's how Hollywood works. But uh, they definitely were something new and and something different, even though we've seen the cartel storyline in a bajillion things. Uh, The Nicole character is great. She has one of my favorite character intros ever with her at the meeting and the shirt. And then, putting the gloves on and literally punching people in the face. Who doesn't love people punching douchebags in the face? It, again, another great moment of catharsis. And it, and it showed you that she's a no bullshit type of nightclub owner right away. Someone who whose attitude and general nature perfectly fits somebody who would befriend Veronica Mars ultimately. Okay, so there is one major character that we have not talked about. And we have to talk about Penn Eppner as played by Patton Oswalt. And I want to get this out there because I think it's very important to talk about Patton Oswalt. I, he's great. I love Patton Oswalt. Anytime that he shows up in a TV series or movie, I am generally always happy to see him. And it is honestly remarkable to me just how many shows and movies that he's done over the years. He's done so much voiceover work. He's been on everything from Agents to S.H.I.E.L.D., to the United States of Tara on Showtime. But I'll be honest, on this show, he got really, really annoying. And I, I easily think he was the worst part of this season for me. I do not agree with all of that. I think, so I also, I love Patton Oswalt. He was one of the first stand-up comedians I became a fan of and uh, became a huge fan of him in high school. I've seen him live twice. Uh, the first time I saw him was the hardest I've ever laughed at anything in person. There's a lot of things I watch specifically for him. And I think everything he does is just fantastic. I even got to see him last summer. He did a live Q and a at a screening of sorry to bother you in the area, which was really, really great. Um, I do think he was definitely overused in this season, especially because he's part of this network of, of people. Um, the Murderheads, I believe is their name. And, yes, and it's, that and is their name. And it's very clear he's the head of them, but it's – I feel like there were scenes where they used him where they could have where they could have swapped out some of the other murder heads to kind of take his place and, and sort of kept Penn Epner as a more of a fresh character and, and less ever-present – omnipresent, I guess is the word – in the show. So I can see how you get annoyed by him, but I, I would not say he was my least favorite part of the season, and I, and – if it is, it's not because of Patton Oswalt. It's just he's so um, he's just so omnipresent in every single episode over and over again. And I think there's there's too much back and forth of like, is he this killer? Is he not? It, yes, he is. No, he isn't. But yes, he is. Uh, but maybe he's not. And I think that gets a little annoying more than the nature of of Patton and Penn itself is just like if that were any character, it would get annoying. You know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely understand that part of it. I, I mean, I, I just think that having this character be overused. And it's very clear to me what Rob Thomas was going for in that the true crime genre has taken off in a big way. And whereas I think it's really great to think about these particular characters and some of the people involved with true crime, I think what often gets lost is 
kind of the, the victims and what actually happened and the fact that real people are damaged by these crimes. And he is the representation of that because he is so into this that he is literally committing crimes himself. And he understands the process so well that, yes, it is possible that only 40% of people will actually ultimately believe that he is the one that set those bombs. And he will probably get married in prison because people are very strange and a little bit sad. There's also that aspect to it. And I, I don't know what the solution necessarily would have been because I think a lot of it is on the script level, less so on the performance level. But I, I definitely think that this was, this, was, uh, this was an issue, especially in the second half of the season, especially because it seemed like he was being positioned in, in kind of this supporting role, almost in the law and order kind of, he's the person that leads to the next person that leads to the next person, like, you know, and so on and so forth. But then it's it's clear that he is the main villain, probably by about episode six or seven, and it uh it just it got really really annoying, and it's unfortunate because again I am a huge Pat Oswalt fan. You are an even bigger Pat Oswalt fan, and it's just unfortunate that that this did not seem to work out as well for him, because I I really like him and would be happy to see him on other TV shows. But I'm not sure if if a role like this is something that he should have. I also think they got a little too cute with the intricacies of the story. Like thinking back, having that fraternity house involved, like that could have just not been a thing at all. Like why was like it just feels like they over muddied how many how many hands were in this tale of the bombings. Yeah, the, you, you have a cartel, you have the fraternity. It's like they wanted to check a lot of boxes even though there there is a little bit of deconstruction going on there's also checking the boxes you had hearst involved you had the cartels involved like you did in some of the books you of course had the high school involved at the end where we got a couple of fantastic cameos as principal van clemens returns for a brief shot and we also get jay kane and i have mixed feelings about involving jay kane but the look on his face when Veronica shows up is one of the funniest things that I've that I've seen all year in any TV show or movie. Yeah. Why were they showing J. Kane appreciation again? Because that's where the bomb was. Oh, uh, OK. Right. But but I mean, what was the point of that ceremony? Like, what was J. Kane being? I believe they were renaming the school or they were dedicating the school as Kane High. Oh, OK. Okay, got it. He's probably a donor or something. Probably bought the school. (laughs) Probably. But yeah, seeing both him and the principal's face who makes a cameo in this, too. Just seeing, like, of course Veronica Mars is here. Or just like, well, something bad's about to go down because Veronica Mars is here. Great stuff. Great looks on both of their faces. And them fighting over the microphone as well. (laughs) Classic. Just classic stuff. It's it's like they're getting the band back together. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you had um, Clark Duke as the one really annoying murder head as well. Clark Duke knows how to play really annoying people very well. Boy, he does. And that's really what I thought him and Patton Oswalt were just like. They were hired to play Clark Duke and Patton Oswalt in this show. Fun fact, I have I attended the same wrestling show as Clark Duke once. Would that have been the, the PWG show in L.A.? Yes, it was, uh, it was a Battle of Los Angeles event. I didn't. I Okay, I knew you did the one. Uh, the Death Tall but Metal one, I think the Smash Brothers won the tag titles. I did not know you did Ebola. I I did do Ebola. That was f- almost seven years or six years ago now. 
Which one was that? 2014? 2014, yep. Wow. So you got to see the infamous Brian Myers AJ Styles match in person. What a what a what a match it was. <laughs> as we are completely abandoning our audience at this point. So That's fine. I don't think I've uh, seen Clark Duke at a wrestling show in a while and I think about it. But yes, he used to be a regular attendee. He was indeed. Uh, we did have Daniel Maloof as played by Mido Hamada. And basically he is literally positioned as the heir of Barack Obama. That 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 is actually said in the context of the series and it's very forgettable i mean the very fact that <laughs> kevin is, i mean i've seen it twice so i've kind of gone through the ringer with it a couple times but the fact that kevin forgot a, a major plot line probably does not speak well to the storyline but we do get the return of clarence weedman in this uh in this season because of him and and that was something i was expecting to go much further too and it didn't he literally showed up for uh, for me to Mata to get shot, and that was that. Just like Ken Marino as uh, Vincent Van Lowe. I mean, look, I like Vincent Van Lowe, but he didn't have to be in the season. Yeah, that's that's the other thing is I think one of the things that was frustrated about like the fan service was they tacked on these characters just to have them there. And like I said, like I think that having Big Day Casablancas was a perfect fit for the story they wanted. There was a lot of these characters that, again, I do like that I was like there was no need to bring them back in this role. Um. And again, if if the end result was to burn it down or or start fresh for if there's another season, it, it even makes it a little more puzzling why to bring them back in at all. So we're burning it down Seth Rollins style. Is that what you're saying? No, never that. All right. So let's uh, let's talk about this some more. Favorite episode. I don't I don't know if it's it's really hard to have a favorite episode because I think they all kind of come together for me in, in this kind of blob. So I, I don't really feel comfortable identifying a specific episode that was my favorite. I'm, I'm with you. Exactly. I saw that in your notes of like favorite episode. And I'm like, man, I could not give you a distinction between episodes at all, especially because in the, the quick nature in which I watched them. But if I had to pick one, I would say either the penultimate or the ultimate episodes were probably my favorite of the season. Yeah, I, I could probably make the strongest argument for the penultimate episode just because there are a lot of twists and turns and it seems like everything is coming together in a big way. So that would probably be it. Uh, guest star, I would say J.K. Simmons. Oh, yeah. And if you wanted to argue for Nicole, I would definitely hear it. Like, if nothing else, there's there's a tie. But if you had to put one or the other, I would probably say J.K. Simmons, just because I think of all of the scenes, those two characters were in my favorite was the conversation J.K. had with with Keith um, where they terminated their friendship. Okay, so we've talked about the hashtag problematic elements because this is a 2019 release. There probably is not as much. The only thing that I could come up with was the uh, the prison joke, but that's about it. There was uh, there was a minimal amount of slut shaming going on in this season, so that's progress, and that's really all I could come up with for this section. Yeah, I mean, I you could say maybe Leo was slightly misbehaving in the episode with Veronica, but at the same time, you know. Maybe the way Veronica was acting led him to believe there was at least maybe some reciprocal feelings there. He didn't go too far, I don't think, in putting her hands on her or anything like that. Um, but, you know, maybe he should have known better to stay away from someone who committed a relationship. But that's that's more his character than something problematic, so to speak. Yeah, I think he, he backed off and I, I did not really see that as as much of an issue. Sure. All right. Let's go. Final thoughts on season four. Final thoughts on season four started very frustrating just because 
there was a lot going on, a lot of it which didn't matter, like the Maloof story you said, very, like, very forgettable. Uh, the the having the the fraternity come in was completely unnecessary, but the strong points were pretty strong, and I think there was a solid enough through line through this season. And they especially dropped a lot of stuff halfway through to make it a more clean ending that it definitely I definitely felt less frustrated going forward. Like in the first half of the season, I was thinking, like, why am I watching this? Like, didn't I read this in the books? Like, why am I watching this again if I'm just going to get a rehash of stuff I've already watched or read? But then by the end of the season, I had sort of changed my tune. I liked where it ended. I liked where most of the characters ended up. And I and instead of saying I don't want a season five Veronica Mars, I'm saying I would watch a season of a uh, new season of Veronica Mars were to come out. Um, but if this is the end, um, it's it's a semi mixed bag. But I think more maybe if you're putting your thumb in the middle, I'd say it's leaning slightly up just because the main stuff with Veronica and e- Keith ended so well. Um, so I'd say it's it's an OK show, but I think. It tries to to toe the line between satisfying the diehard Veronica Mars fans and becoming a new show altogether, and it doesn't really totally succeed in either. I think that you speak to a lot of that very well, and I think that I if if it wasn't for Kirby Hollow Baptiste and J.K. Simmons, I think my feelings on this season would be significantly lower. I think that those two in particular add a lot as far as character goes. And I think that where this season excels at is in the character interactions and in some of the deconstructions of Veronica Mars as a character. I think those are the things that work out so well. And I think what works out less well is some of the plot stuff. Because to me, when I think back about this season, this feels like a transitional season into doing whatever Rob Thomas was going to do next. And it is unfortunate to me that we may not get a season five because I think this this did not feel like an ending. It felt like they were trying to bridge the old show and bridge into something that was completely different. And having Maddie be more involved and putting her with Keith and perhaps getting away from the Leo stuff and very clearly getting away from the Logan stuff. I think those are all things that I, I am thinking about in terms of this season. I think my perception of this season has also changed a great deal between when I first saw it, when I saw it most recently. I mean, when I first saw it, it was back in July and I was very much thinking, Oh, there's no way there's not going to be a season five. And now I am very speculative about this fact. I'm, I'm almost convinced that there's not going to be a season five, at least not for a significant amount of time. And I'm not sure if Kristen Bell is going to want to do a season five. So, Knowing that this may be the last season, I think I, I think it leans a little bit towards more the negative side because, again, I do think that this functions more as a transitional season rather than as a farewell, so to speak. But I do think there, there are a lot of positive things about it. I think the eight-hour running time works out really well. And I, I still think that Kristen Bell, we, have, we haven't really talked about Kristen Bell herself. I think she is just as good in this role as she has ever been. And I think she brings a lot of the same energy that she has always brought. And I think sometimes when you get these legacy type sequels or reboots, I think you get some half-assed performances. And in some cases, people who don't care and they're just there to collect a paycheck. Kristen Bell seems really invested and really into what he's doing. And Enrico Calatani, I think he is the same. He feels like 
he is invested still in the Keith Marsh storyline. And when you have the performances that you do, there's always going to be a certain amount of pleasure that gets taken from this show, regardless of your feelings on the main plot. So getting to hang out with Veronica and Keith was good, but this was definitely not their strongest season. And it's unfortunate that it has not, not captured the zeitgeist as much as it seems even previous seasons have done. I think your point about it being a great transitional season, but not a great ending to the show is very poignant. Very. That's like a perfect way to put it, to put it succinctly. I wonder what Rob Thomas is like, what, where his headspace was going into the season or if the talks with Hulu or whoever made him believe that like a a season five was almost a sure thing. And if he would, and if it wasn't how he would have written the season differently, or if he wouldn't have at all, these are the questions. Well, at least with this season, unlike season three, it does feel like there is an ending. Like, even though I, I, I made the comment about it being transitional, it did feel like everything at least got wrapped up. And I don't feel like there are lingering questions that I feel they need to be answered. So I think in that way, I think it still at least functions as a series finale, even though I'm not a huge fan of it, if, it, if that's how it turns out. But I, I think there is at least an ending, unlike season three. Oh, most definitely. Like I said, if this is the last season of Veronica Mars, like I will, I will feel content. Certainly. All right. So one of the things that I do with Superhero Pantheon is I ask burning questions. So I'm going to do the same thing since we may or may not be at the end of our Veronica Mars project. Should there be a season five of Veronica Mars? This is a one word answer. Yes or no. Yes. I am going to say no. <laughs> okay. Just, all right. So you just don't want to be... speak to me again. I get it. I get it. <laughs> no, actually, one of the later questions is going to address this. Okay. Um, what would make you interested in a season five of Veronica Mars? Maybe an entire episode revolving around Pony's point of view. All right. I'm going to go back and change my previous answer to Yes. And not just an entire episode, but give give Pony his due. Make it just make it about Pony. Okay, so Veronica Mars is across the country in New York, trying to solve a crime, and we're not following that mystery. We are following Pony leaving Neptune and taking his. Is it Pony a he or she? It's a he, right? I actually think it's a male. I'm not sure though. Okay, so Pony is getting to New York from Neptune, and we are following his journey, and he solves a murder or two along the way. 100% would have a first-class flight, too. I mean, I don't think he even needs to fly. I think he can just run. I mean, I think... Just Jeez, maybe from in California, fun. New York, that is quite the journey. But I guess that's the show, right? Is right. The, the season finale is back in Veronica's loving arms in New York. I think, I think we have just... We have solved season five. Hulu, HBO Max, you have our numbers. Give us a ring. Happy they to have help. our numbers? How? Listen, I may have sent some emails... Oh, great. You said, why did you include my information? Because, gosh darn it, Jerome, you're my partner through thick and thin in this Veronica Mars project, regardless of where it goes. Fair enough. Well, I guess you're also pitching HBO Max on Adventure Time as well. I don't need to. Apparently, it's already happening. But you have ideas, I'm sure. Um, Perhaps. When I finish the series, we'll, we'll see how I feel about it. So I think for me, what would make me interested is to do a Agatha Christie style 
murder mystery. I think those are always fun. Um, I think going in that direction would be really good. This is never going to happen for almost any reason that you can think of. But if there was a Veronica Mars, Benoit Blanc crossover, I would be there immediately. Yes, that would be excellent. And Daniel Craig, Southern Draw, and and Kristen Bell. I mean, it would just be amazing. Boy, like, you know, this isn't a Knives Out podcast, but like that was, for, for my money, Daniel Craig's magnum opus. And he's been in James Bond movies, and you're saying this is his magnum, which I agree with you. Yeah, no, no doubt you. about it. I love like Skyfall. I've seen every Bond movie, and Skyfall is like probably in my top three. I still say this is my magnum opus. Yeah, it's it's pretty great. Um, so if this is it, what is the legacy of Veronica Mars? Man, that's a really great question, and I think it. I I want to say, unfortunately, it might be just untapped potential it just feels like the way that the the show on cable ended was had the cliffhanger then the movie came back and it was so satisfying and then you thought oh man maybe the potential is in a reboot like this this movie has some there's some teeth to it that makes it think it'd be a, a, a great series and then if it just comes back for this one season and it isn't exactly what maybe we wanted it to be or even if you're such a fan of the logan and veronica story that him being blown up in the end is what you wanted to see, then maybe is that even what you would have wanted if it doesn't go into a season five? Yeah, I think that's that's part of my conflict as well, is if there's going to be a season five, I don't really have a problem with Logan's death, but it feels kind of shitty <laughs> if that's how it ends. Like, it, it almost feels like, oh, wh- well, why'd you have to do that then? I mean from a storytelling perspective, I mean, if that's the end of the story, like just let them, let them be happily ever after. I mean, at that point, but I think that the legacy of this show ultimately is it came too soon. And I think that in an era with streaming, with kind of demographics shifting and expectations shifting, this is the kind of show that I think if it started at the beginning of this decade or toward the middle of this decade, I think it would have found an audience I think it could have survived as perhaps a four or five season run. And I think it would have done very well, but it came at a, at a really awkward time and was not able to find a, a big enough audience to where it had a sustained run. It's kind of had these, these off and on runs. And I think that that, I think some of the choppiness has contributed to the quality of both the shows and the movies and the movie as well. And I think it's just really unfortunate that we did not get a sustained four or five season Veronica Mars run, because even a show like Community, which kind of suffered from the same problems, they at least got a sustained six seasons and got to end things in a satisfactory way. Kind of three different times. I mean, that show felt like they had three different series finales and almost all of them worked. Yeah, and I think that's the nature of having a show that like every single year it felt like, is this it? Is this the last one? Especially in those last three seasons. So yeah, it's, it's hard, but yeah, I, that's in like an alternate universe. I wonder what a five back-to-back seasons of Veronica Mars in consecutive years would have looked like. It is unfortunate that we will, uh, we will probably never get to see that. Is this our last podcast together, Kevin? Uh, if there is a God, so, yeah. wow, this is incredibly mean. This makes the next question really awkward. 
Can you believe that I have never seen Breaking Bad? That really blows my mind because I feel like you're somebody who's really good on keeping on top of big movies and big shows, at least giving everything uh, a glance. I don't feel like there's many unturned stones in, in uh, or any blind spots in your viewing history, especially in recent history, like the last decade or so. But gosh, man, Breaking Bad's such a huge one. I can't I it's hard to believe that that just never has come on your radar. I mean, there there was a point when I really didn't watch a lot of TV shows. And I think this show kind of came about at a very awkward time because things were not quite on DVD yet. And yes, it did get on streaming. But by the time it was on, they were like three seasons in and there was a lot to catch up on. But I I need a pretext to finally watch Breaking Bad. So this this is our next project, Kevin. I am putting my I'm putting my foot down. I'm slamming my hand on the table. Our next project is Breaking Bad. Well, and this is going to be a, a a total change of shift for me because in both my Lost and Adventure Time podcasts, we had my host who definitely had the experience advantage of either in Adventure Time's case watching a show I hadn't watched and lost someone who had rewatched the show and I was watching it again for the first time in like nine years. But I have seen all of Breaking Bad. Now, I have not seen the movie El Camino because I wanted to do a Breaking Bad rewatch myself before doing so. And, hey, if this is going to give me the excuse to rewatch it, you the excuse to watch it for the first time. And I, for once, get to have the upper hand in knowing the show more than my partner. Because this one was even until this episode, which you had seen and I hadn't. Um, That's going to be an interesting dynamic change for me. But I'm looking forward to that. So we have been taking turns hosting, and I think it's a good thing that you have season one of Breaking Bad so that you can kind of guide the conversation. And we are going to continue to take turns hosting as we will be exploring all it's five seasons of Breaking Bad. Five seasons, but I might have to commit you to Better Call Saul when we're done because I love right, Better Call Saul. Because we are we are going to definitely do the five seasons of Breaking Bad. And then we will definitely do El Camino as well. I will commit to El Camino. I am not committing to breaking. Uh, I'm not committing to Better Call Saul yet. Okay. I think you're going to change your mind once you watch the show. I mean, um, I'm just, I'm putting the caveat just in case. I mean, I'm committing to Breaking Bad, which is five seasons and 70 episodes and El Camino since it is directly after and it's a movie, but Better Call Saul we'll see. Um, two things I'm going to say here. Before uh, before anything else, one, we're not doing any of the the Chris Hardwick talking bad stuff because uh, he is canceled. Forever. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we are there. I would would have put my foot down on that, too. Absolutely not. So, yeah, no, no talk of any of that of that side stuff as like extras or whatever else Two, I think we're going to want to talk about season five and the two chunks that it aired because it was essentially aired like two seasons worth of stuff. And I need you to understand the pain we all felt halfway through season five when we had to wait (laughs) almost 12 months to see what came next. I need you to experience and understand that pain. I mean, I did this with Mad Men, so it's not like this is unusual for me. Mm, Yes, but I but once you see what happened, once you're caught up and you watch, you're going to understand the pain and why my roommate and I almost destroyed furniture understanding we had to wait a year for what was to come next. And I'm not going to lie. I I think one of the, there's a lot of reasons that I want to watch breaking bad because it's kind of a a huge blind spot. 
I I really want to see the 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 show that is so legendary and Walter White's performance and uh, Aaron Paul's performance. I also want to watch the Ryan Johnson directed episodes because I am a huge fan of Ryan Johnson. So this is going to be very exciting. It's going to be very very different from Veronica Mars. Oh, incredibly different. And I will say, uh, just as a spoiler, I believe that Ryan Johnson is a director of what is considered by many to be the worst episode of Breaking Bad. So the polarization of Ryan Johnson is not new with The Last Jedi people. I believe he also did the best episode of Breaking Bad as well, correct? (sighs) Possibly. I'm doing a little... Oh, yeah. Okay, yes. Yep, I know exactly what you're talking about. And so, yeah. So, again, even in the confines of the show... Yes, I I think it like if you look at a lot of rankings lists that he has like the top and the bottom of the list, which is pretty amazing. Oh, Ryan Johnson never changed. So that is what we are going to do next month. Um, And we may get into high fidelity at some point, too. I know that's something you brought up as a possibility because high fidelity is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, This is and it, it pisses me off that Matt and Ben completely ignored it on there there will be movies so we may have to do a a high fidelity book movie and then tv series episode at some point i'd be for that and to be fair i think they only cover 2000 to 2009 and high fidelity just misses it with being in high fidelity came out in the year 2000 i thought it was 99 i believe it's 2000 okay well then uh they suck yeah i mean it's it's a great show or it's a great movie takes place in chicago so there's that. Well, and and the, the actress who plays Maddie is also from Chicago. Yeah. And it's weird because Zoe Kravitz's mom is in high fidelity. And now Zoe Kravitz is going to be in the lead role on the series. I like that through line though. And you're right. It, March, it is a nice through line. March 31st, 2000. So F you Matt and Ben. Yeah. So what we are going to focus our attention on breaking bad starting in February, we will be reviewing the first season of breaking bad. So if you have never seen, breaking bad this is a great time to catch up and there's only seven episodes thanks to the writer's strike correct that is correct it's supposed to be nine but i believe it is only seven because of the writer's strike so we will be getting to the first season of breaking bad and beyond so we will be back next month and we will i don't think we could do breaking bad investigated i think we have to come up with a new name yeah we'll we'll have to workshop something in the meantime we'll do that off air though because that would not be a fun conversation well, Jerome, so, I believe there's other podcasts we're involved with that people can listen to in the meantime as they wait oh so uh, patiently for our first Breaking Bad uh, podcast. And what do you have that people can listen to? Superhero Pantheon. We did a special episode last week of another very non-polarizing property as we talked about Rise of Skywalker. Not polarizing at all. Not polarizing at all. And we will be continuing to... Uh, examine movies. I believe we are going to the Power Rangers next, which let me tell you, those are going to be some banger episodes. <laughs> How many Power Rangers movies are there? There are three, and Brian okay. actually forgot about one of them. The one he saw in theaters is the one he forgot. That's interesting. I was curious if, because I know the Power Rangers series is still going, and that has a pretty big fandom in and of itself. I didn't know if there was like a movie every year if that was like a franchise in and of itself, but three sounds a lot more uh, palatable for sure. There is no way if there was more that I would even consider it. There you go. But uh, that'll be exciting. And uh, yeah, which it's funny because Brian Cranston played a role in the Power Rangers, the TV show, and in the most recent movie, 
That's interesting. Good for him. Yeah, he did the voiceover for the monsters on some of the TV show, and he was Zordon in the most recent version of the film. So I'm going to get my fill of Brian Cranston these uh, these next few months. Well, speaking of uh, of Brian Cranston and potential polarization of current movies, uh, Jay Roach uh, directed Trumbo, which stars Brian Cranston. I think that's a very good film. I believe it's on uh, Amazon Prime. That it is. What you plug your stuff now? Yeah, so right now, this is, again, a, a completed project for now. I guess we should say we will do this again if there is an, another season of Veronica Mars, yes? Absolutely. We will be back for season five regardless. Uh, okay, great. So what I have going on right now is Flooping the Pig. It is a podcast about the television show Adventure Time that I do with my friends Justin Houston and Brad Garoon. What's unique about the episodes coming out now is they're actually older episodes that I, we recorded in 2014 and 2015. And we stopped because the show itself went on hiatus and we never got a chance to pick it back up. But in the day, we recorded 60 episodes of Flooping the Pig and made it through the beginning of season seven of Adventure Time. There's 10 seasons total, and those last three are pretty uh, – they, they don't have as many episodes as the previous seasons. And with HBO Max announcing there's going to be four Adventure Time specials, we thought now would be the perfect time to pick up where we left off. I think if we hadn't done so many, we may have not even considered it or maybe even considered starting over. But I think getting seven seasons deep into a 10-season episode – and listening back to some of the old ones, they're pretty evergreen. So what's going on right now is two episodes a week are being posted of the previous episodes. And then once we're caught up, new ones will be hitting the website. Two being published a week, Mondays and Thursdays at noon Eastern. And I've even talked to Matt and Ben. And uh, there is – or I'm sorry um, – Matt and Mike, and they have discussed on weeks which maybe don't have something else new like a superhero pantheon or there will be movies or something else. There may be possibilities for a third episode to be posted just to get us caught up to speed a little bit more quickly so new stuff can be entered there. But if you've never listened, it's all new to you, and we cover about four episodes of Adventure Time per episode of the podcast. They're between about 35, 45 minutes on average, I would say, so pretty quick listens in and of themselves. So uh, go give those a listen if you have not, and uh, eventually we will have brand new Adventure Time episodes on the Real World Podcast Network. That is outstanding, and I, I need to go back and actually catch up on Adventure Time myself. I, I got through like two or three seasons, but I need to go back. Yeah, and it's such a quick watch because I've been rewatching them as I re-listen to our podcast just so I kind of get the rhythm of everything again. And I'm already like I've blazed through four and a half seasons in no time at all. So it's a great rewatch. Uh, I definitely recommend it to anybody out there who uh, wants to follow along. All right. So despite the fact that season four was eight episodes, this is our longest episode of Mars Investigated. But there was a lot to discuss, a lot to plug, and a lot of plans to make for Kevin Ford. My name is Karen Cusan. Thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you next month when we break bad. BRB going to kidnap, kidnap Pony. <laughs>